0: your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in
1: your pocket.
2: Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. Today is the power hour. Got Bruce and John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, emissions, electrical, new technology. You name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. And I'm going to bring these guys in. Bruce, welcome.
3: Well, thank you, Kevin, for having us. As always, it's our pleasure.
2: Great to have you here. John and Ethan checking in.
3: Hi, Kevin. Great
1: to be here. Yep, always great to be here, Kevin.
2: All right, good to have you here again. Uh, We have somebody monitoring our phone systems today because we tend to have that Tuesday curse for some reason. So I've got somebody monitoring from our, our phone company monitoring the show today to see if we have any problems and of course we won't right isn't that how troubleshooting always goes
1: <laughs> well, Oh, it is. It. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it won't act up when they bring it
4: here
2: that's right so i'm sure that's what's going to happen today we'll have a flawless day so that'll be good um i've got uh just a couple things and then we'll see what you guys have and then we'll get to some phone calls uh did you guys see the autonomous test that Embark just finished? I have not seen that one, no. Embark is the company that's running. But they do. Um, a, they're, they're the same company that have, they've been running the appliances from like El Paso out to L.A. or somewhere in California for a couple months now with autonomous trucks. They, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with them. Yeah, they just completed what they're calling the first coast-to-coast, L.A. to Jacksonville, with an autonomous truck. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it was level two autonomy, so there was a driver in the seat the whole time. They did say the driver had to interact with the truck a couple times for a couple seconds, but for the most part, the truck did the run by itself. Uh, they did it in five days because the driver was still subject hours of service, so it was a five-day run. Um, they're going to be coming back uh, soon, I think, doing it the other way. But their claim is that they are working towards level four autonomy, which would be no driver in the vehicle whatsoever, and they think they'll have it in, they said, a few years. They think it'll be a commercial product on the market. They're already working through regulations, Their model is almost going back to the kind of hub and spoke that we used to use with a lot of the LTL companies, and they still do, where their autonomous vehicles will move freight from hub to hub, and then local drivers will make the final delivery. So they're actually saying it will increase driving jobs, not decrease it, which is kind of interesting. And local jobs are in high demand. I mean, you very seldom see turnover – in local jobs, and yet we have 100% turnover in over-the-road jobs. So, you know, the autonomous revolution for the first decade or so could actually improve things for drivers.
1: I read an article to that effect. uh, I was doing some traveling this weekend. That's some airplane time. There was a uh, stat that the industry due to, I believe, the number retire. Something like seventy or 80,000
2: oh, it's people it, in
1: the next year or two. It's just huge, based on yeah, age.
2: right? It's or big. higher
1: than that. It was. Was it? it was I take that back? It, it, it was like four hundred thousand. Excuse me. It was, it was higher than that, right? And with the demand for trucking right now, there's going to be a demand for three hundred thousand more over the next numerous years. So it's nearly a million drivers we're going to count. So the autonomous is almost going to be necessary to, to keep things moving. Period. And the other jobs are just going to go up so i think the total number of people driving trucks in the future is still there's still going to be a demand an increasing demand over the next 15 or 20 years regardless of the you know how fast the autonomous thing comes on board so it it all balances out from uh, from the things i've been reading
2: yeah and i think it's a positive because again you know we're because of hours of service and elds and the driver shortage i i think we're going to have to find ways to move freight long distances without drivers, because that's where all the big turnover is. It's the big truckload carriers that have all the turnover. Local driving jobs or even regional driving jobs, you hardly ever see turnover. And I think we're going to create a lot more of that. I think with autonomous and just shifting the supply chain, the way things are looking, that we're going to see a lot more driving jobs that keep you closer to home, whether it's truly local and you're home every night or even regional. You know, when I, I very seldom did really long over-the-road stuff. I d- did some of it in my career, but when I had my own authority, I just scheduled my freight, so I was home a couple times a week. You know, I would run fairly regional and get back through the house during the week once and be home on the weekends, and I, I was always shocked that the industry doesn't work harder to move towards that model more, and now I think they're going to be forced to. With the driver shortage and the ELD mandate and autonomous vehicles, I think that's really the trend, and I think it's a
1: good trend. Oh, I agree. I agree. And on our end, it's simply going to be more trucks on the road. So yeah. those of us in the business of repairing these things and working with them, I mean, you know, we need to start hiring some kids who understand LIDAR systems and things like that. But, I mean, I think that there's going to be uh, you know, even more demand you know, on our end. I mean, it's, it's going to not affect us much at all. Uh, if anything positive, I believe it's, you know, that there's going to be a need for way more trucks on the road. So that's, uh, it's, it's a, it's, you know, not a big deal for us at all.
2: Yeah. Then one other thing on that topic, and then I have one more topic. At the other end of the spectrum, so we have Embark, who's really focusing on this hub to hub autonomous, which makes a lot of sense. The other big push I'm starting to see, though, are these last mile delivery vans. That seems to be a big thing right now. A lot of companies are coming out, companies I haven't even heard of, and they already have vehicles. They've got these funky-looking, you know, Hmm. kind of container-on-wheels things, and their whole push is they're going to do that last-mile delivery with a fully autonomous vehicle. I mean, these things aren't even designed like a truck or a van. They're, They're not designed to have a human in them at all.
1: That's interesting. I was in Austin, Texas over the weekend, and there were a ton of those little uh, pod-type cabs running around everywhere. They weren't autonomous. Or I didn't see any autonomous ones, but they were the little square boxes. Basically, you could fit, you know, six or nine people in, and they're tiny and they're all electric. And they, if you know, I didn't see one that was autonomous, but that doesn't mean there weren't any that were there. But they were all over the streets there in Austin. It was really interesting.
2: Yeah, that 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 last mile, you know, with an autonomous delivery vehicle—that's just basically high cube, just designed to move freight around. That seems to be the other right. push, um, which again is kind of interesting. I don't see that having any impact on our listeners. I mean, it'll have an impact, but I don't see a negative impact. That's not the kind of freight they move anyway. So. Really, I think all right. the news around autonomous right now is, is looking better and better all the time for drivers. The other thing I saw, um, in John, you and I talked about this. This was just the logical thing, and now it's official. Um, the companies that are ordering Tesla's truck, um, they're all working with Tesla now to put in all their own charging stations. I mean, that, that was just logical. They weren't saying it, but right. you and I talked about it, but now it's official UPS, Pepsi, I forget the other one. Oh, Anheuser-Busch, I think. They're all, you know, Tesla is already working to build out charging stations in their locations. That makes total sense.
1: Oh, and which, which to me, that's the biggest profit. I think that's going to be the biggest profit center in, in Tesla's uh, business plan is going to be the charging stations and infrastructure. Like I said, as soon as it gets blown out of the water by everybody else. Uh, that's all going to be in place, and that's going to be his work, and that's where they're going to profit, I believe.
2: Yeah, and if we look at that model, that's good for drivers too. I'll tell you, the the biggest pain in the ass for me when I'm on the road, whether it was <laughs> before in the truck or now, I'm actually leaving in the coach, I'll probably be gone a month. I'm heading down to Texas. I have a couple speaking engagements, and it's just easier for me to travel in the coach. Um, I hate getting fuel. Absolutely hate it. It's one of the worst things about being on the road. <laughs> And now when you look at this model, <laughs> you know, the the drivers for these companies won't ever fuel their truck. You know, they'll just drive. When they get to a location, no. it'll get plugged in, and they'll go do their thing, and they come back to a fully charged truck, and off they go. I mean, I think that's another positive.
3: Yep. <laughs> no, Shaman, I don't have trouble buying fuel.
2: Bruce, you, you haven't. Oh, he didn't that, say he had trouble. trouble. He just doesn't uh, like doing it. No, I just don't like doing it. But I'll tell you what's <laughs> changed, Bruce. <laughs> that, that. You know, I, I, people will tell me all the time, oh, you, you're out of touch. You haven't been on the road in a long time. Well, it wasn't that long ago that I was driving a truck, and I'm still on the road, and I still hit truck stops, and I still do virtually all the same things in a very large, heavy vehicle. But uh, let me tell you what's changed, and most things haven't really changed. But I'll tell you one thing that has changed. And it one of the things that makes me crazy about getting fuel today. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford, the number to join us, 8888 Road Dog. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and Ethan and John with me. Um, so here, here is one thing that has changed somewhat, Bruce. For the most part, driving a truck is just like it was 30 years ago. You've got traffic and miles and all those things. But I, I don't know what causes this, but it's also probably the biggest complaint you see on Facebook. I see this all the time. The way a truck stop should work is, you know, they've got all the pumps. You pull in. Sometimes it's two or three deep waiting to get to a pump. It is shocking how many people, you should pump your fuel, move up. They have a line that tells you exactly how far to move up and park so you can walk in and finish your paperwork. It's surprising how many people don't understand that or are just too rude. They leave their truck at the pump. Whereas if they would just pull up, then the next truck can start fueling at least because it takes a while. Or they'll pull up and they'll leave it there, go have lunch, take a shower, a nap, who knows what. And now you're stuck behind them. You've got your fuel, you've paid for it, and you can't get out. It, it is unbelievable how often that happens.
3: I recently climbed into a vehicle, a car to move it forward and there was a lady sitting in the back seat (laughs) and i said to her i said uh, whoever's driving this needs to learn how to move their vehicle when they're done pumping their gasoline (laughs) right yeah when the owner came out they didn't say anything to me and uh, it was a (laughs) it was a foreigner but uh that had nothing to do with it. But I, I understand that. If you go into the Flying J RV island at nighttime, usually you don't have any problems.
2: Usually there's no one there. Yeah, and I, and that, I, I do that a lot because I try to stay out of the fuel islands anyway as much as possible because then I'm just one more vehicle there somebody has to wait for. Um, so if I can hit an RV, you know, right. one of the problems, and I wish Flying J would fix this, is that their stupid RV pumps still kick off at $75. it takes me 400 to fill up the coach i have to restart that thing three and four times it's just stupid so well that's that's my rant send them a
3: letter i know i
2: know that's my rant for today i normally don't complain but today i'm complaining
3: all right i got a couple things i need to talk about all right Our second snowmobile conference, we're moving it back a weekend. It's going to be March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. We will arrive at the Line Shack Lodge in Dubois, Wyoming, and ride Togity Mountain. The phone number for the Line Shack Lodge is 307-455. 32 32 75 per person per night and they do have a restaurant now in dubois there are about 10 motels and you might be able to find a place to stay more economical and that's okay but we arrive on thursday the first and we leave on either you can leave sunday evening or monday morning most of us stick around and part monday morning
2: where are you going to be in the
3: our last conference we're going to be at the line shack lodge in dubois wyoming which is at the bottom of the mountain so just over one mountain from jackson hole wyoming ah got it so if you were to fly in you were flying to jackson hole
2: I was just, you know, Bruce. This was the first one I was going to go to, but now I can't because you moved it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't all have move it. <laughs> we didn't move it. The first one we had to move because why? Our Utah has no snow. Yeah. Utah and yeah. Colorado are very, very light on snow this year. So, and. Uh, I also wanted to mention that uh, Lamar Cohen turbocharged his Polaris, and I, my hat's off to him. I didn't know he was as mechanically inclined as he is. He did it in Mike Lane's trailer in 38-degree temperature in Ogden, Utah, in the dark. Uh, now, we had flashlights, but he did it, and it's, and it's working. I I paid to have my turbo put on my Skidoo, and all I can say is, wow, zero to 60 in two seconds is fast. And it did get me into trouble a couple of times. It got me about four times places where I shouldn't have been, because there is just no stopping a turbocharged snowmobile. And we're only using six pounds of turbo boost. That's how powerful air being injected into a gasoline engine is.
2: Well, you know, Bruce, I was just looking at the map. Yep. And, I, I, you know, I'm not going to make any promises, but I'll be heading back from Fort Worth around that time. Normally I go up through Utah because I love going through Moab, um, but it, it's not that far out of the way to go up through Colorado instead. And it's not that far off 80, although I'd have to backtrack back to 80 when I left there because getting out of there through the passes this time so of right. year is never any fun.
3: Sorry, coming back to 80 is not a big deal.
2: No, it doesn't you look like it's that off. far. All
3: right. But think about it. You, uh, you would enjoy
2: it. I'll take a look. I don't have my whole schedule worked out, but I've got, uh, like, two speaking engagements while I'm out on the road. So maybe. We'll see. What else you got?
3: Well, good. The other thing is... Uh, I'm seeing the 5EK cats, the 95, 96s, and 97s, the engines you can buy pretty cheap now, like $3,500. And you can build those and put in your glider kit and eliminate the ELDs because they're prior to the 99. And I have a friend that's doing that. He just bought two 5EKs, and he's ordering a new W9 glider today. Something to think about. And the five ek had a reputation of breaking the crankshaft. It wasn't the crankshaft. It wasn't the engine. It was the fact that people don't want to change the torsional damper on the front of the cranks. I was in Blackfoot, Idaho, a week ago, Monday and Tuesday, and um, working with a fellow on a his Caterpillar and he uh, he makes videos, and it's called J-Pay Dirt. He has old caterpillar equipment. He makes a living with 50-year-old cat dozers and graders.
0: And what do you call
3: the one where you drop the pan down and fix the dirt up? What's that machine called? Pan? A shovel? Is that a pan? pan? Yeah, he's got some of those, and he makes videos showing that, but... uh, I was riding in one of his said cats, and I said, do you feel, Jay, do you, or Jeff, do you feel that noise down in there? He said, yeah, I thought maybe that was in my drivetrain. I said, no, that's your torsional damper on the front of the crank. So we sent him one, and we'll know within a, another week if that fixes that. But back to the 5EK. Those are great engines, 5EK, 1LW, um, 7CZ. Those are all good engines. I know everybody's looking for the 6NZ. Those old forty pin ECM cat engines run very well. You do our manifold and turbo damper and balancer and either the power box or the ECM programming and there's never a complaint on fuel mileage, reliability or power Ethan you've had pretty good success with those haven't you yeah they're 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 a good running engine yeah so Just something for people to think about that want to stay away from the ELDs.
2: All right. That is
3: all that I have.
2: All right. Well, that's all we need right now because I'm going to take us into a break, and when we come back from this break, we're going to get right to your calls and questions. If you don't have our app yet, get it. It's the Audio Road app. It does one thing, and it does it really well. We kept this nice and simple. You download the app. It's free. You open it up. You can listen to all our shows. That That's what it does, and it does it really clean and easy. You don't have to fight around with podcast apps and subscribe to things. Open up the app. All of our shows will be there. The Power Hour, Destination Health, the weekend live shows. You can listen to us live. You can listen to us while we're recording, or you can listen to any show, anytime. I think we have almost uh, seven years' worth of shows loaded into the app, so... Pick it up. Here's the easiest way to find it. Go to Google, do a Google search for Audio Road app. Audio Road is one word A U D I O R O A D. The first two links that will come up the first one is for Android, the second one is uh, your iPhone link. It's free. Download it and start listening on the app. We're going to get to a break. We're going to come right back and get to your calls and questions. This is the Power Hour. Bruce, John, and Ethan are here to answer your questions. and We'll do that right after. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I said we were going to get to your calls, but uh, I just happened to be reading something during the break, and I'm going to talk about that for just a second, and then we will get to your calls. Um, John, you and I have talked about this, the whole, uh, you know, whether it was the ELDs or autonomous trucks or, you know, the, the fear that vehicles are going to get hacked. And, you know, with ELDs, it's just a joke. Why would anybody hack an ELD anyway? And there's not much else they can do with it. But with autonomous vehicles, it has been a concern. You know, I'm not saying it's not a problem, but it's not going to stop autonomous technology. We'll figure it out. Well, there's a company called Trillium, and they recently developed this new security software for not just autonomous cars, but the Internet of Everything. You know, because we're connecting our refrigerators to the Internet and our door locks, and, you know, we're connecting everything, and it all has a potential to be hacked. But this company has um, developed some technology, and they took it to that – have you ever watched that, that hackers convention they do every year? No, I haven't. No, I've have not
1: watched that. Yeah, they, they to bring it. See if you it. can hack things, like, you know, start start someone else's Jeep with your phone. Yeah,
2: yeah it's, it's like the Super Bowl of hacking. I mean, they bring in, you know, all the, the good guys, the white hat guys that work in security, but they also bring in kind of what they call the gray hat guys, you know, that are on the fringe and do, you know, know how to hack in for criminal purposes, and it's like a big challenge. And they took their technology and nobody could break it.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. Now that's cool. Yeah. Nobody I mean get to see I could just see the heist movie now, you know, like the <laughs> like the uh the Italian job but with the, it just, just hacking into <laughs> that's the right. autonomous trucks and that's moving right. them somewhere that they aren't supposed to go and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and yep. then
2: hacking some security system at some building and sending a robot in to steal things and and all the while you sit at home. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Just like all, the, all the new movie potential, yeah. Yeah, interesting.
2: <laughs> all right, so as promised, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Indiana. Mike, welcome to the program.
4: Hey, guys. Great show as always. Well, you guys are just knocking it out of the park. Every, every week, my two favorite hours in radio are uh, Destination Health and the Power Hour. You guys do a great job, so I sure do appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you. What's on your well, mind thank today?
4: You. Thank you. Well, you know, there should be a disclaimer, Kevin, when you talk about the uh, autonomous trucks. Uh, there was a gentleman um, on XM last year saying that uh, he works with Bosch as a systems engineer. He had said that no one driving a truck professionally today is going to have to worry about losing their job. And it seems like every few months you have to move that up. You know, it seems like now but guys my age in their 40s might not have to worry about losing their jobs in an autonomous truck. But if you're in your 20s or 30s, you might want to start looking into perhaps doing uh, diesel mechanics and, and repair because uh, I've been hearing about the shortage of diesel techs is just going to be huge in the next few years. They're saying that uh, there's going to be a need for over 100,000 new diesel techs, and basically the wait times are going to be so long that it's almost going to bring them the industry to a halt if they don't do something about it, and I, I believe it.
2: You know, I, I'm always shocked. That's
1: a problem now. Oh, go ahead, John. Oh, That's just the problem. No, we really struggle to find anybody. Uh, it, it, it's very difficult.
4: Yeah, they're saying the wait times are going to be unbearable. I mean, right now, if you go to Freightliner or Commerce, they're like, yeah, we can help you. They'll be two weeks out. You know, yeah. if you're an owner operator making a truck payment, that's unacceptable. You know, so for me personally, I've turned to a lot of independent shops. And I still wish we had a Pittsburgh Power South. Maybe that's uh, hopefully coming in the future. But uh, if you guys could get one down near Georgia or the Carolinas, boy, that would be a hit
2: that would be awesome yeah you know i'll tell you that's really would seems to be across the board in in mechanics and technicians if i call to get anything not even major just you know almost anything done on the coach anymore they're a month out it's incredible how hard it is to get something in to get it worked on anymore um so yeah, it, it uh, think now. I, I want to make a comment about whoever that guy was from Bosch or wherever. Just in general, making predictions. What, he was basically making predictions forty years out. Because if he's saying anybody driving a truck today, I started at twenty-two, so that's a potential forty-year career driving. And for him to make a prediction forty years out is just ignorant. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen in 40 years. We have a hard time picturing what's going to happen in four, honestly. So I think, you know, even the best people that do predict the future, I'm actually reading a good book by a guy that, that has been predicting trends before they really happen, and he's been doing it for about six or seven years right now, and he's really good at it. But he's only predicting one year ahead Because he said things change way too much. You can't possibly know what's going to happen in 10 years, much less 40.
4: i say bring on the autopilot because I'm heading down to Nashville today. I can use the NAP, so I'd be happy with that. (laughs) And uh, Actually, my home state of Georgia, um, I'm I'm from North Atlanta. My home state of Georgia actually just released plans to build the first-ever toll-free truck highway. It's going to go from McDonough, Georgia, which is... About 20 miles south of Atlanta down to Macon. It's going to be a 40 mile stretch. Uh, it's truck only. They say it's going to reduce the traffic on 75 North there, the main highway, by about 40%. But the main goal of is to test self driving trucks and, and platooning. Uh, it's going to be about a $1.8 billion project. So that's set to begin in construction in 2025. Uh, so uh, you yeah, know that, that should definitely uh, help with traffic down that way and should be pretty exciting. And uh, I I question about my truck, though, guys, so um, what would what, what your comments be about that uh, truck-only
2: highway, Kevin? Yeah, I see that coming. I, I see, you know, they've talked about other freight corridors. Texas has proposed this a couple times where they separate all kinds of commercial traffic from the interstate system, where we might have high-speed trains, you might have autonomous lanes, platooning lanes. I think that's probably the future that we will start separating transportation like that.
4: Well, that's cool. That's cool. Well, anyway, uh, I do have questions. Uh, 2017 uh, Kenworth T660 kit. Now, uh, it's a strong glider kits, build Series 60 127 Detroit. Uh, I got all the Pittsburgh Power goodies the muffler, the uh, balancer, and dampener. I got my fast fuel system, fleet air filter and uh i went ahead uh when i ordered the truck the guys at mhc in charlotte forgot to order me my 20th gauge it left me a blank spot on the dash and i'm actually th- now because i'm going to put the egt gauge in of course i got the boost gauge in the dash here this has the full gauge suite i've heard conflicting stories about where to put it uh, i used to be into uh, Tudor cars uh, i've got a old 95 eagle Talon all-wheel drive we used to put the egt gauge Prong or the the uh, the probe for it, three cylinder uh, on the exhaust header. And I talked to Indianapolis. They told me that they've always seen them on a factory equipped truck with the EGT prong on the downpipe. So I just want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, and then after this, I have, have a more technical question about my truck. All right, All
3: right. I'm going to take uh, this I, one. Oh, go this, is a, this is a 41 year old question, <laughs> and. The ignorance in the industry is put it in the exhaust pipe in case the tip burns off. Well, we use the Hewitt pyrometer, and they're made in um, Southern California. I'm trying to think of Huntington Beach. We have never in 41 years deviated from the Hewitt pyrometer and the Hewitt thermocouple. We've never had one burn off. Years ago, Mr. Hewitt, and I'm sure he's passed away by now, walked by my engine display at a truck show. He said, here's a man that knows where to put the thermocouple. And I looked at him. I didn't know who he was. I said, in the hot side. And he said, that's right. And then he introduced himself. And I shook his hand. And then we became friends. And I've been to his plant several times in California. But you have a 300-degree drop on average when you're working the truck. Once the exhaust goes through the turbo, the difference is when you're pulling a long grade and if your heat's getting up there, say 13, 1,400 degrees, and you just back your foot out of that throttle about an eighth of an inch, you'll see that temperature come down when that thermocouple's in the manifold. When that thermocouple's in that exhaust pipe and you have that turbine housing cherry red, it's recording the heat off the turbine housing and not necessarily coming off the engine. And if you you had the privilege to go and spend time at Cummins, and whether it be Cat, Mac, Detroit, but spend time with the engineers, mine was with the Cummins engineers, they put a thermocouple in each cylinder. Oh, wow. So they want them in the hot side. Good. Okay. Okay. By the way, if you ever buy a used engine and you see a hole threaded holes with a plug-in above each cylinder you'll know that was a test engine for one of the engine manufacturers we've had them you know, kevin
4: kevin can you hold me over i got another question real quick buddy
3: yep hold
2: that thought we're gonna get to a break we'll be right back stick around back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to your calls and questions. We're talking with Mike in Indiana. Mike, go ahead.
4: Hey, thanks, Kevin. I sure appreciate it. Okay, Bruce, so this uh, Series 60, where would you suggest, which uh, cylinder would you suggest putting that probe on, sir?
3: In front of number four.
4: Number four. Okay, sounds good. Now, this is Mark Power, just out of curiosity. The Company I'm leased to runs the e logs. I, I don't really care about it. I don't run more than 550 miles in a day. Um, I call just to uh, find out. It turns out I've got a 93 motor in here. It was built in December of 93, put in service yeah.
3: of April of 94. Now, this is a D deck 2, correct? No. Oh, no. 94. 94. Wow. Is the E deck yeah, yeah. About three inches. Yes, sir. Thick? You
4: know what? I haven't even taken a look. I've been looking at some of uh, the anti kits for for the ECM. I heard they're a real hot ticket item for these, so I haven't even gotten really taken a look at it. But um, uh, I figured it was a D-Deck 2. Um, is there any kind of advantage, upgrade that even to 3? Even,
1: even if it was a D-Deck 2, they would have built it to a D-Deck 4. Yeah, if we would have been, been yeah, re-powered. Yeah, okay. been re- that's, I'm sure that, yes. Yeah, there's no way that uh, Fitzgerald would have built a new engine with d deck 2 electronics on it. So. No, the block might have been at one right, time, right, which is no
4: big deal.
3: Well, wait, he said okay, Sounds was Fitzgerald. Good. Who built the glider? I thought he
4: did. Yeah, it's, just, it's just a Fitzgerald uh, glider kid I, know, I had it, it custom Fitzgerald. ordered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. Okay, so it's d deck 4 definitely. Okay, sounds good. Now, what kind of programming do you guys do to these? Uh, I know uh, they use it's, your programming a as,
3: as oh, like a tune. Hold on. It's ad deck D-Dec-4 ECM. We're not saying it's a D deck four block, right? Okay, it's a D-deck well, the D deck four electronics. Conversion,
1: the conversion would be to four. They wouldn't have they wouldn't have bothered with three electronics. It would have been four.
3: It would be four electronics, but would it have the three connecting rods? Oh, I don't know. I see a lot of their
1: stuff comes through here as the three connecting rods still. Okay. All
2: right, we've got lots of questions, so we're going to move on try to get to some here. Let's go to Massachusetts. Jim, welcome to the program.
3: Good afternoon, gentlemen. I got a comment about your fleet air filters. Uh, when I was cleaning my filter, I had noticed that the wire mesh underneath the foam coverings was starting to deteriorate each time a little more, a little more. And eventually the last time that I got into it, the wire mesh did basically rot it basically rotted out at the bottom. Taking a chance, I call Fleet Air Filters, and some of the nicest people I've ever talked to, they actually said they've run into this before up in some of the northern states, and uh, they were working on the problem to fix it and make it out of a different material. But in the meantime, they're going to send me another one just like
0: I have, and when the new ones come out, they're going to send the newer one out and stand behind that product. I just have to... Say it's a great company, and you can't ask for any more than
3: that.
2: Fantastic.
3: That's correct. They are a great company.
2: Yeah. We we love that. And and those That's are the terrific. kind of – That's one
1: of my favorite uh, products.
2: Those are the kind of companies we like to partner with. Uh, guys, let me give you another story that goes e- even beyond that. That's awesome customer service. Mm-hmm. I've seen them replace things, you know, without any questions. OPS. I, I love this story. OPS. A lot of guys will buy these parts – And then they never get around to putting them on, so they sit in their garage. And the guy called OPS, and he said, hey, he says, I need to buy another unit. He said, I bought one two years ago, never put it on. It was in my garage. We moved, and now I can't find it. They sent him another one without charging him. (laughs) That's crazy. But that's – That's
3: good.
2: Yeah, that's the – you know, and don't – Don't everybody call OPS and say you lost your filter and think you're going to get a free one. But it was, you know, (laughs) an interesting story. (laughs) Just uh, in fleet air filtering, you guys have, you know, Kevin. Yeah.
3: If we program your ECM and you go into a truck dealership and they wipe it out, we reprogram it at no charge.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and like I say, that's why we partner with the companies we do because that's the kind of customer service we expect. Let's uh, we can get in another caller too. Let's go to Texas, Eric. Welcome to the program.
0: Hi guys, how are you?
2: Good. What's on your mind? Good. Hello. How are you?
0: Doing doing well. I got I got a twenty fifteen three eighty nine Pete with an ISX. Um, you guys did the tune on it um, March of last year. But I'm having starter, I believe, starter problems. I've been through three sets of batteries in three years. And last week we we determined that maybe the starter was dragging because when you hit the key, it just goes dead. Everything goes blank. And so hmm. we put a new starter on it this weekend. The identi- it's, it's got a Packard starter on it. And they had one, the company I'm leased to had one in, on the shelf, it, but not sure that this makes a difference, but it was two and a half years old. They, they've traded all their Packard equipment off and went to Freightliner. So we put it on, and now when you hit the key, the solenoid clicks twice before it engages the starter motor. Hmm. Am I barking up the wrong tree thinking? I mean, it, now when the motor does kick on, it seems to start easier than it did but i'm almost afraid to shut this thing off now that i've started it this week that maybe i got another (laughs) bad starter but it clicks
1: twice that's That's odd. odd uh you can get a bad starter i just actually had that exact problem on a car where we replaced one and it lasted all of two days and that was the end of that one as far as your battery consumption goes, make sure this thing's not overcharging a little bit. You could be uh, roasting those. Check check your voltage with a voltmeter. Yeah, on the on and right directly off volt. of the alternator there.
0: Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, make sure you're not boiling yeah, the batteries. Our, volts are always showing right at about fourteen, and it never. Okay. Now, like when it started this morning, it did go up to seventy-five amps. And right. most times when they're I mean it will come to zero. It hasn't yet today. It's still putting out about twenty five amps. And we did well, we did put a new set of batteries in it again this weekend when we put the starter on it. Um the other one's low tested marginal. They weren't bad but they weren't great. Mhm. I I and, would
1: seriously take a take a voltmeter and, and explore it. Uh if it's a smart sense it might be showing a different voltage at the uh battery than at the alternator, so check the voltage of the battery themselves with the, with the voltmeter, okay. and also check it at the back of the alternator, and see if that coincides with what your dash is telling you, because the dash is okay. just getting a reading from the computer, uh, so it's not a real voltmeter, it's a data coming from the computer telling you what it, what it is. Um, yeah, I would actually put a volt, I'd put a voltmeter on, and just make sure you're not overcharging a little bit. Make sure those things aren't running up around, you know, 14 and a half or 15, uh, in which case you're going to end up uh, boiling the water out and doing some damage to them.
0: Got It and then obviously I kept the old starter. So would you consider re- um, swapping solenoids? Yeah, maybe between the two starters.
1: I try to diagnose where the double clicks coming from. Is that if it has a uh, over temp on it? That's a separate little solenoid, isn't it? Is that like a little relay? That's
0: mm-hmm. no, just a, like a, a little a, igniter. Or yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I diagnosed that farther. Make sure those clicks coming double clicking from the uh solenoid itself on the starter before you change it. Just try changing the solenoid. Got it.
0: This kind of makes you nervous to shut them off. <laughs> 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 got an
4: AP,
0: I mean, you got an APU yep. but you know, we become so reliant on these APUs to charge batteries and we shouldn't Right. Because we ran years without APU, so you shouldn't be relying on an APU to keep your batteries up.
1: Right, right. I agree.
2: I'll tell you my solution to this because we're just about out of time. I really like the Maxwell start module, and then even worst case scenario, the batteries go dead, the start module gets drained. One of those little pocket jumpers you can buy for like 60 or 70 bucks now at Costco will start the truck right up.
1: Did I lose everybody? That's yeah, we've got one leave. here. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we've That's, got one of those here that we bought on uh, that we bought from Amazon. Amazon, it's terrific as long as you keep it charged.
0: Yeah, it only really works for with a full charge,
1: but it will start a. It'll take a dead, dead, stone, dead truck and start it. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Even without a Maxwell. And it's not that big of an object. Even without a Maxwell, it's nothing wow. with something. Wow. Four dead batteries. That's you impressive. Thing onto it and hit the button and it goes.
2: Yeah, that's impressive. The, yeah. Um, I didn't the, believe it at first. With the Maxwell, it doesn't take hardly anything to fully charge the Maxwell. That's why the little pocket jump starters work. I mean, it's in seconds on that. And usually, even if your other batteries are dead, all you need to do is get them enough voltage, you know, to get the ECM fired up. So with the Maxwell in one of those pocket jump starters, it's a breeze. I didn't know one would do a, uh, a truck with. dead truck batteries. Interesting. All right. We're going to have to wrap it up today. We'll do it again real soon. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Fit and healthy. Always.